This week's episode is sponsored by the Is This Entertainment podcast. Is This Entertainment follows two self-described hermits who play music together, Jacob and Ben, as they talk about the music they're listening to and the TV shows and movies they're watching. Recently, they've recapped the last season of The Mandalorian and are also currently reviewing episodes of WandaVision with a hefty mix of comedy and philosophy. And you know what? Ben and Jacob are new to podcasting, so why not head on over and give them a listen? You can check them out at isthisentertainment.com, on YouTube, or on Twitter at at isthisentpod. Now that's entertainment. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are very excited to be coming to you live tonight. We are live on Crowdcast. We're live on YouTube. We are unlive over on the podcast. You're listening to this later, yeah. but that's fine. We love you anyway. It's all good. Uh, I Just a quick mention up top for the folks watching over on YouTube. We had a little bit of problems with the stream last time. All YouTube's fault, not our fault. Wow. Just throw it on them. Yeah. I looked it up. I did some research. It's all their problems. So if there's a problem there, you guys... Uh, Come on over here to the old crowdcast. Classic Zelda. Throwing some money under the bus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, well, here's somebody I'm not going to throw under the bus. In fact, I'm going to welcome here into the stream. Very excited about our guest tonight. We've had him on the show tons and tons of times. But he has a big, new, exciting book called True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stanley to talk about. Ladies and gentlemen, Abraham Reisman. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Hey. Um, uh, well, do you want to say it or should I? Uh, no, I, I can say it if you want. I can frame it up. No, no, no you know what? I, it's my shame. I can bring it up. Okay, go for There's no shame here. Just yeah. for the viewers at home, I've I've developed a bacterial infection and uh, may or may not have to vomit at some point. I have my little bucket here, so I'll mute. I'll uh-huh. I'll close the camera off okay. or do my best. But anyway. I didn't think I'd ever have to appear uh, in front of countless people uh, being broadcast across the internet saying that, but um, just as a warning, that might interrupt the conversation at some point. This is new media. This is what it's all about. This is a live event. People, Yeah, you got to have that raw energy. You know, it's like live theater now. Well, you haven't been on the show for a while. We have new sections. We start off with the guest interview, then we all vomit for a bit, then we do Q&A, then we vomit a bit more, and then we wrap up the show. So Our show is more jackass than it's ever I do also want to say, you said I've been on a, b- a bajillions of times. I agree, and I, I, I love doing it. And lately I've been doing a lot of podcast mm-hmm. interviews and streaming interviews. But Ooh. you guys, I would never miss because you were the first people to invite me onto a show to talk about oh, comic books. Yes, I had, oh, I had been on podcasts before for various other things, but you were the first people to ever say – you know about comic books. Let's discuss them in a, a podcast format. And I I will never forget that. That was like 2014, I think. That, May 2015? Wow. I can't uh, remember. I don't know. We've been doing this for so long. <laughs> and well, thanks for saying that. And I'm glad it's only made you quite ill. Is the only, <laughs> in, the in the long run, yes. <laughs> well, this is the thing that I actually wanted to start off with. Uh, you talked about this a little bit on Twitter, or at least you tweeted that screenshot that you sent to, I guess, your agent. Uh, you you're on the other side now. You're on the. Interview. It's very weird. Yeah, I'm. So what's that been like? Yeah, so I I am the news now, not the yes. headline news necessarily, but like I'm I'm on the other side of the looking glass, and 
it's very surreal. I don't know that I like it, to be honest. Oh, I, no. I well, no, I mean, nothing horrible has happened, but it just sort of <laughs> sets you up as, you know, pe people are paying attention to you. And Lord knows in this day and age, uh, the less attention you can have paid to you may be the better because you become less of a target for whoever is having a bad day that day and decides to lead a brigade to ruin your life on social media. So, you know, that's me and my paranoia. But um, uh, for the most part, it, it has been, I'm very, I, I shouldn't denigrate any of this. I'm extremely lucky and very grateful that I've gotten all the coverage I've gotten. Yes. Is, yeah. Just, uh, this is not me complaining. It's more just saying it's very surreal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know whether, whatever. It's very un, I, it's untried territory for me. I just wanted to say, man, uh, congratulations. I mean, you, you're, you. you tackled a huge huge project and when you first came on the show and talked about it i was like holy fucking shit how is he gonna do all this it's so much to talk about I, Pete, I like you're you're congratulating big... him on completing any book <laughs> and this book is the one well, no i mean no go ahead i was just gonna say it's a huge task and you did it and uh we read it it's phenomenal i can't i mean just as i'm reading i was like man i can't believe all the research that must have gone into Thank this you. i mean yeah how, do you feel like you uh like so different on the other side of this project <laughs> has it really changed you like how are ah, you doing i'm doing okay i i mean it's it, it was a it was a new process to i mean that was so many uh fact you know factors larger than anything i'd ever written before and i I think it's made me, I feel more comfortable with my own writing because I had this, this long length that I could play around with. So I could kind of let my voice go into places that usually I'm trying to be efficient and therefore cutting out the voicey parts. Mm -hmm. And also just, you know, I had a great editor, uh, a guy named Will Wolfslough from Crown Publishing at Penguin Random House, who really had a lot of confidence just in my analysis and my reporting abilities. So it's not like all my other editors have been cruel to me or anything far from it. It's just he he had this sort of extra level of going like, have confidence. Like you can you can get a little weird or or unconventional or voicey or whatever and see what happens. Um, so yeah, I, I think on the other end of it, I feel a lot more at home in my own skin when it comes to writing and reporting. I think um, I still have plenty of neuroses, but you know, I feel a little bit more like I can do it. You know, well, it's your, nice. editor, your editor wants you to become more like your subject. Who we should say uh, who that is here in a second. Oh yeah, I guess we haven't said anything about it. Yeah, yet. I said the title when we introed him, and then everybody started screaming and shouting. That oh, right, the right, right, right. Yes. fall of Stan Lee is the name of the book. Just in case we were shouting too loud, uh, one of the things. Uh, Pete was kind of bouncing around this a little bit, but I'm not a big biopic guy. You know, I tend to stick to fiction and that's pretty much it. Obviously I have interest in Stanley from the comic book perspective. Sure. One of the things that I thought was great about your book is it really is initially it almost is written like a thriller in a certain way, but then over the course of it, and it's right there on the title, it feels like a tragedy. You're reading something that isn't fictionalized. It's heavily researched like Pete was talking about, but how did you give it that structure and what was, what was too much? Like, how did you pull it back at certain points? I'm going to give you a really disappointing answer, which was oh, I kind of, when it came to virtually every, um, when it came to a lot of the questions of how did you write this, I, 
as a side note, I, I've spent a lot of time as an arts reporter being frustrated when artists give me this answer. So now I finally get why they give me this frustrating answer. I wasn't, even though like I was thinking about individual factors and what was going on, there was very little sort of, um, <clears throat> it was all kind of going on gut instinct. There's very little planning that went into, I mean, I planned stuff, but when it came to the actual sort of tone, a lot of that was just me following the instinct as opposed to saying, I should make this sound like X. It was more just, I don't know. It seems like the next word is supposed to this be this. And it seems like the next word after that is supposed to be this, but you know, there were things I thought about and you know, I, I, yeah, I wanted it to, let me put it this way. I have ADHD. So I lose attention really easy. I, I can get distracted very easily except when I'm writing. And the point is I know what it's like to be easily distracted. And I tried to write in a way that would keep me interested and keep me not wanting to put it down. And because I have such a short attention span in some ways, maybe that paid off because, you know, in order to keep me interested, it has to be at, you know, operating at a certain pace. And maybe I was able to pull that off, but um, that's, that was, that's something I only thought about retroactively though. Cause when, when the book came out, people have been very kind and a lot of people have said, you know, I couldn't put it down. It felt like a thriller. And that's that I was not sitting down going, I want this to sound like a thriller, but I, I do. I I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I made it something that was easy to digest uh, while still being substantive and therefore something that you could sort of really just dive into. Do you feel like the fact that Stan Lee basically sensationalized every aspect of his life um, helped helped that or did it make it actually harder to, to well here's the thing <clears throat> it <clears throat> excuse me not vomiting don't worry it was just that felt close now everybody's watching just waiting for that yeah, to happen. yeah exactly <laughs> no one can um, hear anything classic, classic check of vomit <laughs> but yeah. well it was it's when you ask about whether the the fact that stan made a lot of stuff up or was not a reliable source um whether that made it harder or easier I think it puke machine. Thank you, Aaron. Um, <laughs> that, that's that's a actually a very that, obscure guys, reference. To he's gets distracted er, easily. I got, how do, do I close this chat? I'm just going to keep looking at all these people. Or is there no way to do that? Oh, well. Yeah. Anyway, um, so the point was, it. Uh, the fact of that meant, on the one hand, I couldn't trust anything. But on the other hand, it forced me to not trust anything. And not just for him. But yeah, I mean, right. you know throughout the book I did my absolute best to especially if something seemed especially important or dubious to try and get multiple accounts and get documentation whatever I could and when I couldn't pretty verifiably say or at least confidently say this probably happened I was made sure to attribute to whoever I was whoever was telling the story um, and attribute clearly because something I really find frustrating in a lot of nonfiction is, you know, uh, so this is me revealing the dark secrets of, of journalism, but sometimes it'll be someone told you a story and then you recount that story. And there's no direct attribution. You know, maybe you expect the reader will put two and two together, but they often don't. And you are then sort of portraying as gospel something that is an anecdote from one person. I find this to be, I, I've, I've done this in the past. Um, I try not to. When I, when I am telling, if there's an anecdote that's being presented, I present it either as a direct quote from the person 
or I just make it clear that this is the version from a person. Um, and that has to be true with Stan, but I tried to have that be true with everybody. Uh, and I think the skepticism that comes from writing about a figure like Stan Lee really benefits the report. Uh, that's a benefit rather for the reporting process and the writing process, because it does make you more skeptical. It puts you more on your guard and that extends beyond just, just him. I mean, there's a lot of fig figures in this book who have, <clears throat> you know, uh, loose relationships with the truth. And it was really useful to be in the right mindset from having thought about the core subject um, once I was approaching all the secondary subjects. Yeah. This is a very in the weeds question, but I thought it was an interesting Please. choice on this note. So all of the footnotes are at the back, all of the yes, citations not, and everything. Yeah, yeah. They're not actually in the book itself. Why did you decide to do that? Why did so you there are a few options that you can, what'd you say? It's because it's distracting at the bottom of the page. Yes, you kind of, it's you know, distracting. That's that's the sorry, trouble. That was actually a question we're, for Pete. Not yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're in such minutia of the publishing. I thought it was interesting. I don't know. I was no, reading no, it. I thought, I like, it's a great they're question. All, yeah. It was something I I did. You know, there are different options for, and I felt that the the only really honest but also smooth way to do it is to have it at the back, but you know, clearly notated what page and the beginning of the sentence and everything. But I find that if you're, you know, I found that with my writing, it seemed like if you were reading it and had the little numbers uh, for footnotes oh, yeah. and notes, uh, it, it took you out of the reading experience. So this was the, this is the compromise measure and I hope it suffices, but that was, that was the approach. Even when I, I'm reading something with footnotes and I know what it's going to say, I'm like, well, I have to read it anyway. Yeah, I know. I sometimes <laughs> find myself reading the footnotes at first, and then just because That's the draw of it is too much. I know, I know. It's it's. There's no perfect way to do it. This is why so few people finish Infinite Jest. You know, it's all footnotes and endnotes, and you're just like, who who can navigate? That? Anyway, yes, go on. Uh, um, I have a question. Um, now, obviously, you you are a comic reader, and so Stanley's always been a figure um, in that world. What's something, what was the most like surprising or uh, or unexpected, darkest, weirdest, any kind of like... Well, the there are a few things. I mean, for me, you know, I'm Jewish and I spend a lot of time thinking about Jewish topics, so learning about Stan's family and his, his Jewish upbringing yeah. um, and how he moved away from that, really rejected it, that was really fascinating to me because that was just stuff that was not known. Um, you know, I learned a lot of that from his brother, Larry Lieber. I learned it through um, research uh, with Romanian researchers. His parents were both born in Eastern Romania. And I, I got some people in country who are fluent in the language to look up stuff for me. I worked with a genealogist named Meryl Schumacher, who's terrific. Um, and a lot of the material I accumulated from that really was fascinating to me. It surprised me because I, I just, there were aspects of Stan's, Stan's life that just had not been discussed really at all. You know, the thing that really sticks out in my mind was Larry telling me about um, how their father would write letters to them and particularly to Stan after they were sort of, especially after Stan was steadily employed and, and, you know, making some money and doing well for himself. Their father, Jack Lieber, would write these letters saying, you're not doing enough for the Jews. You know, you're oh, wow. not you're not celebrating the holidays. You're not um, giving to Jewish organizations. You're not supporting the state of Israel. Like there were all of these. Uh, there was this laundry list of grievances that Jack had that 
really had a lot to do with being Jewish. And, you know, we could get in the reasons for why that conflict was there. Um, but personally, I just, that moment of hearing Larry talk about the letters was, was fascinating to me. I, I just never would have predicted something as specific and as sort of embedded in the Jewish experience, not just the Jewish experience. I think a lot of people can say, you know, in, in ethnic backgrounds, uh, changing and adapting or maybe dissolving, that's the kind of conversation that happens. But given that I'm Jewish, the specific contours of it were very familiar from fiction and nonfiction and just knowing my family and other people's families. So that was something that was really interesting. Uh, that was uh, just also from the Jewish perspective, seeing the beginning of the story. Yeah. A after the forward start there, I was initially very surprised. I guess somehow in my head, I was like, Stan Lee uh, flung forth, fully formed into the Marvel Comics offices. <laughs> and that's where we're going to start. But of course, yeah. no, you having the Jewish background makes a lot of sense. You start with this whole family background. Uh, I'm curious because I've certainly tried to research my family on various uh, times through Hebrew school or otherwise that yeah. had to be really tough, right? That was, well, there um, you'd be shocked at the degree to which now um, genealogical records are there's, st you still have to do a lot of work, mm -hmm. but the actual access to the records is now something that you can get uh, with relative ease and, and the stuff is indexed and like, and you know has had opt optical character recognition so these documents are searchable it's it's crazy how much even in just the past few years genealogical uh database searching has come come or how far it has come um so i you know there was a lot of time just spent on ancestry.com which has a, this enormous database of information you have to learn how to play with it and how to look for what you're looking for um but and then once you have it you have to actually cum accumulate all these sort of strange disconnected data points into a picture that is a narrative. And that was a challenge. God. But what? what? That, sounds, that sounds so hard. <laughs> well, you describe it. it was very interesting. I mean, I'm okay. lucky, I guess, that yeah. I found the the genealogical stuff was very interesting because I, as, as Alex is, has, uh, you know, I've tried to find my own family's genealogical past and it can be very frustrating. You know, I, I did a big effort of that in 2012 and, you know, even then Ancestry.com did not have the kind of crazy resources it has now. Um, and again, it's still very time consuming. But and then there was also Meryl, the genealogist, who helped a lot because she knows about databases I would never even think of or, or yeah, find. The, the and she ones. also just similarly knows where to look, knows what to look for. So that was tremendously helpful. I, uh, her, we go way back is the name of her, her genealogical company. If, oh, oh, that's great. Just I, plugging I like her that. right there. Like good that, name. Yeah. Genealogical plug. So, go uh, oh, go ahead, Pete. Please, uh, I can I can't imagine uh, doing something this huge. Like I feel like the uh, <laughs> once you finish something like this, that's uh, what was the first thing you, that you did? Like in my mind, I would just shut off all the lights and lay down and just be in <laughs> silence for a little while. Like, and just to be clear, Pete's, out... talking, Pete's talking about reading a book, not even the writing <laughs> yeah, process. Yeah, He's just talking about reading, reading a book. Okay, okay. Like I was. You... I... I did. The, I finished it in kind of a funny way. I, I thought I was going to write an epilogue. So I actually went on this little miniature writer's retreat where for like a week and a half, I went to my aunt's condo in Sanibel, Florida. She was out of town. It was uh, right around Christmas. And I just hung out in there and thought I was going to be writing a bunch more. 
but um, you know, I ended up at this place where I wrote the end of chapter 10 the next day, got up to write the epilogue and just realized, Oh, I should just end with chapter 10. Like <laughs> I don't, there's no need for more story here. Like it's going to muddy the waters. I should just end now. And so I ended up having this whole week and a half where I just like didn't have anything to do. It was great. After a year of working on that book, in addition to articles and other things, I, it was amazing to just sort of be like, oh, I, I guess I'm done now. And yeah. so I believe the first thing I did was order a pizza and go to the hot tub outside. Yeah! That's a that good was, answer. <laughs> if I recall correctly, it was a pretty... It was a pretty chill then week and a half. My my partner came to visit me and we watched uh, uh, on Christmas Eve. We watched Wolf, the uh, Jack Nicholson. And <laughs> Interesting choice. Yes. She's a huge fan of it. She saw it when it came out. And I was like, Wolf? I remember seeing like posters for that. But why? And we we watched it. And it's great. It's a great it's really, movie. It's a good movie. movie. I remember watching yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that was that was how we relaxed. Is the point we watched we watched Wolf. Now this is definitely jumping ahead, but just because you are mentioning where the story ends uh, from from a narrative perspective, from a biography perspective, love the whole book. I, I think, like we talked about at the beginning, you start with the roots of his family. You explain kind of his origins, where he's coming from. You work us through the Marvel Comics period, the post Marvel Comics period. All of this stuff is, I think. People don't know the details, but they're at least familiar enough to be like, aha, Marvel Universe, I know what's going on mm. here. The last part of Stanley's li life, which I do think people who have been paying attention know how wild it was. What was it like trying to structure a story where suddenly, like, here are five yeah. apeshit banana <laughs> yeah. characters coming yeah. in, driving things absolutely insane? You know, I, it's <laughs> it was an interesting challenge because, you know, like I say in the the overture, you know, Stanley's stories where objective truth goes to die. And that really became true in two, two core areas of the narrative. There is the sixties and who created the Marvel universe. And then there is the post Marvel 1998 onward. Um, exactly what happened between him and all of these characters who have gotten into run-ins with the law. Excuse me, not barfing yet. Good. Um, I'm interesting. You said yet. Just saying. You said yet. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Um, uh, you know, people who have had had a lot of. There's a lot of controversy and a lot on the line, and I I did my best to talk to as many people as I could when it came to the last few chapters of Stan's life. A lot of people were surprisingly willing to talk at length. Um, how much I could trust what they were saying was, you know, hard to say, but, um, they certainly were open. And then there were the people who just didn't want anything to do with it. You know, I talked virtually everyone from that inner circle. I spoke to for at least like one phone conversation. Very often wow. it was like, not very often. Sometimes it would be people saying, you know, I'll talk to you on the phone, but it has to be completely off the record. And so I, I honor that, but we did have a conversation uh, and, you know, and then in the case of his daughter, JC, you know, we had one three minute phone conversation that was on the record and was very strange. Um, and I just tried to talk to as many folks as I could look at um, legal filings of which there are many related to that last month or year and a half rather um, after uh, the death of, of Stan's wife, Joan, until his own death in November 2018. Looking at that period 
I, again, I'll come back to what I said before. I tried to be as open and honest about the limitations of my knowledge as I could while writing it. And while researching it, I spent a lot of time frustrated because I couldn't get to the bottom of everything. And then at the end, uh, you know, I, I did my best to just sort of say, here's what I know. And here's a lot of stuff that I don't know, but here's what I have been told. And here's what I found out about what I'd been told, et cetera, et cetera. You just put as much data in there as you can while not making it clunky. And you just hope that um, you told a, a, a story that is clear enough while, again, acknowledging its limitations. Uh, I feel like, I mean, the his post-Marvel years, that's when we sort of started be, do interviewing uh, people and him, like the post-Stripperella time and all of that. Um, and so it's very interesting to me how much his appear, his cameos in the Marvel movies have like redeemed him. Um, and well, in people's eyes, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I mean, that's sort of the root of it. Like he was in such a place and the times we interviewed him, we were like, this guy's someone's fooled him into doing this. What is he talking about? And then now yeah. he is like, you have so many like Stan Lee fans mad at you about some of the, the things you said in the book that are very real stories about him. Like, yeah. Talk, can you tell us about like just that little mini arc of his life? Wh sorry, which mini arc? The, the arc from oh, post Marvel. Oh, the, oh like with the cameos. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Into yeah. cameos and how that sort of. Right. So, in, you know, Stan had been doing various forms of cameo or voiceover or whatever um, since uh, the early 70s. Uh, and, you know, just little dribs and drabs that eventually sort of coalesced into in the new millennium the concept of the stan lee cameo you know uh it, starting with x-men in 2000 you know virtually every marvel movie and that's not just the marvel cinematic universe has these appearances from stan lee and they start to really have a formula really it's present from the beginning which is like he's not playing himself exactly but he's playing some variation on like the stan character it's just that this stan character happens to be a hot dog vendor and this one's a strip club announcer and, you know, this one's a intergalactic barber, you know, I mean, it's like, there's, there's always some twist on it, but it was always, you know, uh, the character of Stan Lee. And that's one of the reasons that you do see, as you say, this redemption where um, there's, you know, the eighties and nineties were really diminishing returns for Stan. Um, he was languishing at Marvel he was not getting the movie and TV deals that he wanted to make. He eventually was not really being given any responsibilities. He was just sort of sitting in a, an office, not really doing much, trying to get uh, this comics line at Marvel off the ground that never happened. And then in the new millennium, A, he starts, you know, it's, it's this real cross, uh, I don't know what the graph thing to describe it would be, but basically you have at, one, at once you have the advent of the cameos, where all of a sudden everybody around the world knows who Stan Lee is. Even if they don't really know anything about him, they know like, oh, that's the Marvel guy and he's in the movies. And I know what he looks like. And at the same time, in that same 20 odd year period, Stan's personal life goes completely, like his real life goes completely to hell. Um, first gradually, well, it's, it's not so gradual, but the point is you have this weird dichotomy in the new millennium where at once he is doing terribly and doing better than he ever has. And that's what leads you to a lot of the backlash that's happened to my book, which I, I get where it's coming from. 
I respect that Stan means a lot to people. And one, one thing that is very interesting is even before the book was out, long before the book was out, or there were any reviews or anything, people would just take issue on my Facebook ads with the subtitle of the book, Rise and Fall. They would say, fall? He never fell. How dare you? They'd get mad about it. And what's interesting to me about that is even if you don't ex accept my thesis that the fall began a while ago, even if you just know about the, uh, the, the, the awful stuff that happened in the last year and a half of his life, the stuff that was all over the tabloids, you'd know that he fell. Like if you're actually paying attention to Stan's life, even before you read my book, whatever I say, of course he fell. The last year and a half of his life was a complete hell pit of elder abuse. Um, and yet, that's not the Stan Lee that anybody that was getting upset about that knew. They, they could have had that knowledge and they either rejected it or interpreted it differently. And instead, what they saw was this guy who went out at the top of his game because he was in the movies. Now, forget that he was not really getting paid anything for these movies. He was, he was, he was getting paid scale. He showed up and did a day's work. Forget that he had this executive producer credit that meant nothing. He was not actually getting paid. He didn't have a cut of any of this. If you saw him in the movie you liked and that movie did well, that must mean he was doing well. And that's just not how it was. Yeah. That was not his life. And especially at the end, that was not his life. And it's just fascinating to me that the fandom around Stan is not just how much uh, even stuff that's already been reported prior to my book just doesn't fit into that for people. They're real because they're really into the fictional character of Stan Lee who appears in the movies and who also has appeared in comics going back to the sixties. The fictional character of Stan Lee is uh, a happy, had a happy story. Well, that's the other thing is people getting upset about the fall part. They're it's, it's, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Stan Lee story, the story about the fictional character of Stan Lee is a, a happy and inspirational one. And even if it's not, even if you, you know, it's hard for people to process that bad things could happen in that story. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Is what I'm getting at. And I think that's, that's an obstacle for some people. I would hope that people maybe give the book a chance and see that it's not me writing a hatchet job or trying to cancel somebody as, as, as I've been accused of. It's it, that's not the kind of book it is, but it will make you see things even again, even if you judge Stan as blameless, you'll see bad things happen in his life. And for some people that's just too much. Well, it, it's, he's such a unique, it's such a uniquely American story and you can't yes. have that without those, those falls, those low points, those, parts where he's literally constructing a fake person over top of the problems that he's having I mean, subconsciously he wanted... consciously or subconsciously yeah no and it took him a while it's this gradual process um yeah. you know the character of stan lee was not completed in the 60s far from it you know i i i watched at the stan lee archives a copy of this film strip that was made by Marvel in 1965 when they were shopping around their first animated series to networks. And it's this pitch. It's a sizzle reel of the animation, but it's also a pitch on camera from Stan. And, you know, there's a little like five, four, three, two, one thing that counts. And then you see this image and it's, you know, 42 odd year old Stan Lee, completely bald 
Um, no glasses, much less shades. Clean shaven. Wow. And the way he's talking is as follows. Hello, my name is Stan Lee, and I'm the editor of the Marvel Comics Group. I'm here today to tell you about, and you're like, what? That's so funny. <laughs> this is Stan? and But he hadn't built the character. Even by the late 60s, you know, in 68, he, another thing that's at the archives is this 1968 failed talk show pilot that he did where he wanted to have a political talk show, like a McLaughlin group type thing, not even about oh comics God. or the arts. He wanted to have a political talk show where he would talk to young people about the issues of the day. And this is 1968. There's, it's, it's, it's a pretty intense time for politics <laughs> in the United States. And again, when he introduces the, the pilot, he's got a beard, again, not the mustache. He's got the beard, um, no glasses. And he's again talking in this staid, intellectual, sometimes almost monotone way. And you're like, it's 1968 and he still hasn't become the voice in public that he had been in the comics letters pages, you know? I, I love I all think, these not, details. Not to interrupt. I, I mean, I think it's worth oh, pointing out here as well that, you know, I, I think we talked about this on Twitter a little bit before the book came out because I had read through it by then. And I remember reading it and being like, oh, shit, people are going to react really badly to this because they're going to skim it. Like, they're going to skim it. They're going to get, you know, you're going to get on, not to throw them under the bus or anything, but you're going to get on CBR, and it's going to be the top 10 most shocking moments from the right. rise and fall of Stan Lee. But you research this insanely deeply, and I think, you know, you read through the book, not only does that have to, at least in part, come from a place of love, but also you talk about the things that are good about him as well. It clearly seems like... He achieved a, a lot, point, and a lot yeah. of people... Yeah, he achieved a lot and people loved him. Like people who knew him really well, this was not a guy who you turned off the camera and immediately it was that he was a jerk to everyone. Yeah. There there this was a I tried to talk to a lot of people who really loved him um to understand why they loved him and what they loved about him. And that's just as important to the story, but it's not the full story. Yeah. You know, and what I'll say is I I'm actually one of the great pleasant surprises of my life was the fact that that was not how the book has been covered so far with the exception of the daily mail and the New York post, which are the daily mail and the New York post. <laughs> um, they, you know, they have their purpose and they do wonderful things. And, you know, they, they ran very salacious headlines about some of the more salacious stuff that was in the book. That was it. You know, even the, the geek sites have taken the book, Either they haven't talked about it at all, or they've been weirdly pretty respectful, um, you know, and I, I, I'm fine with either approach, you know, uh, <laughs> but the, but um, the fact that people have not been just drilling it down into 10 most shocking moments from this book has been really very gratifying because that's, I'd much prefer it that way. I'd much prefer that people think about it as a whole work than just, having pull quotes that are, you know, the most uh, upsetting things in there. Yeah. And I just well, think as a, to as a, Justin, we, oh, we wow. should probably, this is a good time to talk about. We've broken out the top 10 most shocking <laughs> yes. moments. from so <laughs> Number 10. Yeah. No, go ahead, Justin. Okay. Um, I just, as a comic fan, just on what we were saying, like 
you have to look like so many comic stories are about the rise and fall of the hero, especially Marvel comics. It's about yeah. seeing like I just don't know as a comics fan to be angry at seeing this man, this man you revere, this person you revere's life. And not and ignoring the dark parts, ignoring like the parts where there's struggle, like that's literally yeah. the the journey of most every Marvel character and what made Stan Lee a, a figure of any kind. Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't want to sensationalize it or turn it into a novel, but there are the reason we tell those stories is because that's often how human lives go, yes. you know, or at least one one lens to look at a human life through, and. Yeah, you know, there's a. I was lucky that the story itself was as interesting as it was, and I could just sort of do my best to not get in the way of it. There's no, you know, the. I've gotten a couple of reviews from book critics who liked the book, but their big, their like one critique is sometimes he overstates his point. And that's a totally valid critique. I, I will do my best to not do that in the future because it, in a way it's it's a it's a compliment it's saying right. like the point is good enough you found the right thing yeah you don't Your have take to talk is great. it up yeah right yeah you don't have to talk it up too much and i do think about some of the stuff i wrote in the book and sort of cringe a little bit and going like Duh. i guess that sort of spoke for itself i don't know why i had to have that extra sentence where i'm going and look at how important this is uh but the point is i didn't have to do a lot of that because the story is just so interesting and um and dynamic on its own and like i said part of my role was just to sort of not get in the way yeah. now well, you, to that point i do have a question about the content that i thought was interesting and uh, i liked but there are points of the book where you actually become a character where you refer to yourself and yeah happen. Uh, why that choice well that yeah that was that's that's going to come back again to a little bit of the um disappointing you thing where it's just that wasn't a plan that was more just as i was writing i would get to places where it felt like i think the only way i can convey what i'm trying to convey here is by sort of inserting myself the, the book is not about like my journey it's not like dear diary here's what i did but there are moments where for one thing i think a lot of the people in the book you can't fully understand unless you get what it's like to be in the room with them and I think that the best way to convey that sometimes is through a little bit of first personing and just saying, you know, this is, this is what it's like to interact with this person. And then maybe the reader has a, a deeper understanding. And then other times it was just, it goes to um, what I was saying about uh, the sort of attributing things to people. Sometimes that goes even beyond um, attributing sort of a factual thing but it can make a quote actually clear so you don't have to torture it. So like, that's a long way of saying sometimes dialogue is the best way to convey the information. That Because like if, if the quote is somebody saying yes to a question you just asked, that doesn't mean you get to just have the quote be yes, insert bracket to what you just said, which was this, and then <laughs> end, end bracket. You know, you sometimes it just only makes sense if you say, I asked him this and he told me that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and then, yeah, I, I tried not to do it much, but there were times when it just felt like that was the only way to properly tell the story. And I, I just sort of had to trust that um, I didn't that it didn't get in the way too much. 
Yeah. Uh, we actually have a bunch of questions piling up uh, over in the YouTube comments and over here on Crowdcast. So I did. I did. Oh, yeah. I did want to ask one more. You had mentioned that some people said they wanted to talk like off the record. Were there certain conversations that you were like, oh, please let me put this in the book or sure. to at least. Oh, yeah, add- plenty. Oh, oh really? yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. No. I mean, that's unfortunately the nature of being a reporter. You're always going to have that comment that would just explain so much and you know you have to work around it and you do the um why is this person saying my record clearly states i have no don't read the comments sorry we'll sorry i just get nervous talking about this because it's very these are tough ethical questions yeah. so <laughs> you don't want to know ethics here. We have no I, ethics. I, I don't yeah, want to impugning my, my journalism. But, but we yeah, have no, all no, of no, your no. off-the-record people in the comments section, though, wait, just ah. salivating for this answer. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> they just want to catch me in the lie. But um, but no, I mean, yeah, there were, there were definitely things that people told me that I I couldn't report and will never report, but were interesting. I don't think anything that, like, you know, would have altered the course of the book, but, you know, okay. stuff that would illuminate. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you say like as a reporter, that always happens. I didn't know that. I didn't know that that was like a common. Well, I shouldn't say always, but a lot of the with stories, you will often have that one source who won't talk to you on the record, but like explains how this all works or like tells you something that the subject did that like would just explain it all. But yeah. you have to work around it and like find other people to talk about it or incorporate it somehow in a way that doesn't it, it's it's hard. But um, yeah. luckily, I, I got a lot of stuff on the record that I was able to use. Uh, I do have one question before we go to the fan Q&A. What was the deal with Buzz Aldrin? Yeah, Buzz Aldrin pops up twice. I was actually just thinking about this. Um, I feel bad. I uh, my, uh, Spencer Ackerman, who is a great uh, reporter and a true comics geek. You should have him on the show sometime. Uh, great guy. He started reading the book and... In the overture, I refer to Buzz Aldrin as a C-lister. Mm-hmm. Now, I meant that oh. in the context of uh, in Hollywood, he's like, like in terms of like showbiz, he's like a Dancing with the Star- Stars type. He's not, right. he's not an A-list movie star or anything. But um, I refer to him as a C-lister in that context, uh, the context of showbiz, but I don't explicitly say that. And Spencer tweeted at me, he was like, C-list. The man walked on the moon. (laughs) It's like touche. Okay, I probably could have phrased that a little more clearly. I did not mean to say that. That means he's on the C-list of humanity. But um, I think you you actually have him. I think three times in the book, so it works out as a perfect rule of three. Yeah, because. Yeah, it's the, so funny because you set it up and then you're looking at it. It's like, here's this fucking guy again. Yeah. Loser <laughs> moves guy, Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> Come on. Who cares? No, no, no. I have nothing but respect for Buzz Aldrin. And he punched that guy who accused him of faking the moon landing. Yes. So that, yeah, I mean, you got a pretty legendary that. move. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's go to some questions here because, again, we have a bunch. Uh, this is from Josh. I listened to your interview on Off Panel and hearing you talk about the archival research got me itching to get back to in an archive, former special collections librarian. But I wanted to know what individual record or what aspect of the Lee papers at the American Heritage Center stuck out to you or interested you the most? That's oh, that's a tough question because there was a lot of interesting stuff there in terms of text documents. <laughs> It was his autobiography outline. He wrote this outline for a memoir, oh. 
1970, oh, late 70s, either 78 or 79. I'm blanking all of a sudden, but he, it wasn't published. And, you know, many years later in 2002, there was a memoir that he co-wrote that came out. Um, but in 78, 79, he'd taken these notes and he was much closer to a lot of the events as of then and uh, got into a lot of interesting detail about his life prior to Marvel and even during Marvel. Um, you know, that, that proved to be a very useful document in trying to understand Stan's at least depiction of his life, but also it offered clues to things that actually, I mean, you know, in there, he mentioned that he almost got married in um, while he was in the war. Uh, I mean, he wasn't serving combat, but he, you know, while he was in the army, he, you know, almost got married to somebody and like, that's just in there. I'm like, okay, well, that's something I obviously have to figure out more about, uh, you know, and anyway, um, the, when it comes to non text, I think what sticks out in my mind is, uh, the home movies for some reason, for some reason, deliberate or maybe accidental, I don't know. Uh, Stan and his wife, Joan, when they were donating things to the American heritage center over the decades, donated VHS tapes of their home movies. And when I say home movies, I mean like them hanging out at Christmas, them just spending an afternoon on the patio. You know, it's not barfing. Um, so much closer. Just, the closest. Yeah, I just have to let you know. Um, but that was completely fascinating to me. It's just these un, unedited, I mean, they're like choppy because, you know, you turn on the camera, turn it off. But it's really basically just raw footage. And I, I just wasn't expecting to find that there, really. Um, but that that also proved very useful in trying to understand the story. Yeah. Uh, got a question here from famous Santa Claus counselor, Daniel Kimball Smith. Uh, Off the top of your head, can guy. you tell us any origin stories of some of the classic catchphrases, the state motto, NY motto, Excelsior, etc.? Do you know any when, how his go-tos got codified? Excelsior came about... Oh, there, there's... Not uh, a ton of how, like, there's there's Stan's version of these things, but, um, you know, some of them were exist. I mean, obviously, there was the New York State motto was the use of Excelsior, but that was also, uh, uh, you know, I'm really flaking out on this. I did know more about the origins of the catchphrases, uh, but I finished writing this book, like, more than a year ago, and some of the things have fallen through the cracks. Yeah, no, and I can't believe it's Kibble Smith, who I grew up with, asking me and putting me in this stumper. <laughs> there he um, is. <laughs> but uh, what I will tell you is that Excelsior came relatively late. That didn't start to pop up until about 67, um, which was interesting. Um, but enough said, face front, that stuff, that dates back earlier in the 60s. Um, so anyway, uh, that's an extremely embarrassingly bad answer, but <laughs> I can say if you don't want to wait for me to come with an answer on the next time I appear on this show, you can find that stuff in a wonderful book called, uh, stuff said, um, that was written by John Morrow. It's this sort of grand timeline of the Lee Kirby and Ditko relationships. Um, it's a really interesting book and there's a lot of stuff in there where Morrow turns up like. This was something, you know, this catchphrase that Stan used to say was really big on this one radio show in the 50s. And that may well have been when Stan first oh, heard it, cool. et cetera, et cetera. So Stuff Said, uh, John Morrow, it's a really good book. 
Uh, next question. This should be a super easy one to answer. This is from Alex, not me. In your book mentioned uh, that Kirby Ditko drove the plots and concepts, but I was wondering if you think Lee can be credited with creating, co-creating the characters, personalities vis-a-vis -vis the dialogue. So that's a question. It's a tough one to answer um, because I, I think that you can... I, I, it's it's hard to say. I would say with some characters, certainly the dialogue is part of who they are, but it gets at the question of what counts as creating. Um, and I, I, as I, I think I made clear in the book, I thought the best working definition of creating to go with um, for the purposes of this book was to think about it in Stan's own terms. And Stan himself articulated a lot of times that for him, the only meaningful creator, and I'm not saying I necessarily agree with this universally, but for the purposes of this investigation, this book, Stan's criterion was whoever came up with the initial idea, whoever had that initial spark of an idea. You know, in the new millennium, he started referring to the, the di, 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 bleh, to Ditko and Kirby as co-creators, but it was very grudging. And in his memoir and in interviews, he would tell you, you know, literally he would explicitly say, I call them the co-creator, but I'm really the, co the creator because I had the initial idea. So, you know, what I was trying to explore a little bit was the degree to which, you know, uh, other people could meet that standard. But, you know, all of this is sticky. I, I, I do yeah. think that dialogue is an important part in some of these characters in sort of defining their voice. I mean, you can't really imagine the thing without, you know, Aunt Petunia and the Yancey Street gang. Um but that, and it gets stickier with other people. You know, I don't think that there, you can universally say the dialogue used for this character is pretty foundational to creating the character universally. But, you know, I could, I, that's something where intelligent people can disagree, I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to that point, and not to put you on the spot too much, uh, but this is kind of the central question of the book, right? Uh, or at least one of the central questions is Kirby versus Lee, who created what? That's certainly the thing a lot of people are right. And on. well, but and and what I say in the book, and this is why I'm kind of hemming and hawing a little bit here, yeah. is I don't think there's an answer to that question. Yeah, like I really don't think you're gonna anybody's ever gonna be satisfied. You're never going to have that smoking gun or that universal definition of what constitutes creation or what constitutes writing. Um, and part of the lesson of the book, I would hope, is that you have to like live with. I might be vomiting soon. I'm just going to tell you, oh, you have to oh, live ooh. with the. You have to live with the ambiguity, the factual ambiguity, and the sort of definitional ambiguity of what constitutes creation and what constitutes writing. I mean, that's and, the nature of collaboration. Like you can't un unentwine that rope to a point, you know, to a, to a point, but you also, the real trouble with it is you can also then fall into the trap of saying, well, you can't untwine them. And so therefore it's 50, 50 when that's mm -hmm. not necessarily how it works, yeah. you know, but that's often the default that people go to when they talk about Lee and Kirby is they say, well, it was probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. That may be true. But we can't discount the idea that Kirby or Lee uh, was was accurate in saying that the initial idea was really all them as opposed to something that was collaborative. So, I, I again, the reason I'm not giving you a hard answer on all that is because I don't think there really is one. Mm -hmm. And I think it's 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 just going to be a frustration that we'll all have for the it's going to be an itch we can't scratch for the rest of time when people talk about comics and Marvel. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, let's keep uh, going through the questions. Yeah, I got to hurry up a little bit. Uh, this is from Hollywood Homer. Why is Stan Lee still seen as William Shakespeare when he's not? His creation list is so long, few exceptional hits. Like, oh, this is teeing you up right here. Like WWE's Vince McMahon. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I for listeners who don't or know or viewers, whatever, I, I, I am, I've contracted with Simon Schuster to write a second book, which is a biography of Vince McMahon. Uh, wow. The emperor, emperor Jesus, of professional wrestling. Oh yeah, well, that's that'll be it that we don't, we'll get into that when I'm on the show around then. That's its own <laughs> yeah. challenge. Um, but uh, you know, look, people love Marvel, and Stan was sold as the guy behind Marvel, and you know, people treat him like Shakespeare because that was he was depicted as anything you like about these characters that's not visual was Stan. That's yeah. what was sold to people, and so if you like those characters. Of course, you're going to say, wow, well, then Stan, if he invented all of these things and he's the the only guy behind the stories and the characterization, then of course, he's Shakespeare. You know, these are titanically um, <laughs> writing a book about Vince McMahon. I wish you good luck. Yeah, well, I'm working on it. Uh, <laughs> it's it, it's a slightly dicier gambit than this one. But, you know, we'll see how I do. Um, <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be as many people who disagree with you. I mean, yeah, it's kind of more commonly known that Vince was. Well, not I, I don't want to get into the Vince stuff. Okay, yeah, sorry, I, wanna, I, I don't want to, you know, blow anything. But, um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, I guess that's what the one-to-one -one relationship that was sold of Stan equals Marvel, Marvel equals Stan means if you love the stories of Marvel, you're going to think of him as as you know the great progenitor of them. Yeah. Uh, all right, I'm gonna try to wrap this up quickly for you, so you can uh, go. I can go barf. Way. Yeah, thank yeah, you. So you can go barf. Uh, but we like do have a lot of our from guests. Jay Simpson, did anyone that Abe interviewed do a Stan Lee impression? And who yes, did the best. Well, first of all, everyone did a Stan Lee impression. Oh, Anytime wow. anyone said something that Stan had said to them in recounting it, they had to do it in the voice. I don't think there was. I'm not making this up. I think there was not a single person I interviewed who quoted Stan and did not do the voice, their version of the voice. Who was the best one? Easily Jim Salakrup. Jim Salakrup. Really? Oh, wow. Jim Salakrup not only was great at it, did Stan's voice professionally at Stan Lee Media because they had this little oh, animated Stan who would do stuff. And they didn't, uh, for whatever reason, it ended up not being that Stan was doing them. It was Jim Salakrup doing the, the recordings. And he sounds just like him. It's it's crazy. Jim Salakrup's stand impression. I highly encourage you seek it out I, the next time you see. I him. feel like he did it. Did he do it on the show? We've had him on a couple of times. Yeah, yeah he's so. a nice guy. Yeah, he oh, you've had, next time you have him on, you have to make him do the stand impression. Oh, your mind. Absolutely. We do that for all of our guests usually. <laughs> so. uh, all right, I'm gonna start to wrap this up here just to let you go, just to let you heal up. Uh, but you. any final thoughts Thank on you. the book and what this crazy week has been like for you? Um. I'm just very grateful. Thank you to everybody who has bought the book or talked uh, about the book. It, it's um, It's been very humbling and I'm extremely lucky and I have nothing but gratitude. So thank you all for this uh, rollout and I hope everybody gets a chance to look at the book um, and come to their own conclusions and hopefully see that this was not something I wrote with bad faith. And I, I hope people will approach it with with good faith as well. Thank you Fully so much agree. for coming on the book. Congratulations. Awesome. Thank uh, you very much. Great.
Yeah. Hope you feel and, better. Uh, rest up. Go feel better. Go bye. I will. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. And goodbye. Bye. All- bye. Bye. Thanks for bye. powering through. <laughs> of course. Fortitude. Excelsior. All oh, right. What a guy. There we go. Once again, Abraham Reisman, the book is called True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stanley. And really, it is real good. Great like book. I said on the Check show, uh, not a big biopic guy. I read every page of this, completely ate it up. It was real good stuff. Yeah. Alex hates people. So it's crazy for him like to read about. Most of the books that I read are about big red dogs. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Big Clifford guy. I mean, honestly, what should have happened at the end of the interview is one of us should have vomited. That would I have was, been the perfect uh, pick. Can I say I was a little disappointed? <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Oh, a little bit. Yeah, he you're, was trying to give him a talk. He kept him to the talk. Another question. All I'm saying is, comedically, at that point, you say goodbye, and then just blah, the entire oh. camera fell. Honestly, your question about lukewarm clam chowder was over them. It's <laughs> <laughs> unhelpful and unnecessary. Wow. Uh, um, I was trying to coach him nice. along. And... It is time for our next section, which is my favorite section because you all make it up, is your audience questions. And for the audience questions, you all have figured this out already, but in case you haven't, drop a question, ask a question on Crowdcast and YouTube. Just drop it in the comments, and I will read them there. But before we do, other than lukewarm clam chowder, what y'all drinking tonight? Justin? Uh, I'm back in that high life. Oh, look at you. The sign got to you, yeah, the huh? The sign in the background got Woo-hoo! the cold, lukewarm beer in my hand. It's perfect. <laughs> Champagne of beers. Uh, I got a. Uh, I picked up a Harpoon, the Long Thaw. Ooh. It's really good. It's got. It's a hazy IPA with orange peel and coriander. 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 Wow. You it's lost very delicious coriander. actually, and very nice for like the kind of snow, kind of not snow we're having. Good There's stuff. oh that's nice. There's something about mm-hmm. harpoon. I lived in Boston for a year, and every bar has harpoon in it. Every time I see harpoon, I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Takes me back too hard. Uh, Pete, what about you? Uh, I got a uh, pony boy. Uh, you know, stay golden. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm rocking the uh, the pioneers cozy. You know, oh pioneers, nice. Uh, yeah. Hey, should we mention that now? Uh, just for folks who have been following us since the live show, the uh, we don't obviously know what is ever going to happen with our live show, but one of the venues that we performed at, the Pit main stage, ha- has closed? It has they closed. keep using the word surrendered, which is very weird. To <laughs> it me. is weird that they say surrendered, and I don't know what legality there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, they've surrendered that space, which is very sad, uh, but the Pit Loft is still around, so... And Pioneers. See what happens. And Pioneers, and Pioneers the bar. There you go. Uh, so uh, uh, we'll see what happens. That's uh, where the but, show after the show took place when we would all oh, yeah. drink. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's uh, go to the questions here. I'll actually go to YouTube first. This is a big spoiler question for WandaVision. So you, mm-hmm. if you don't want to know, turn away for the next minute or two. But this is from OG. Do you think Monica had any superpowers before crossing the Westview barrier? Ooh, good question. Um, I think not. I think that in this world, in the MCU, I think the powers were a result of her proximity and in um, relationship with Wanda from her time in the Hex. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like there was maybe something that was dormant and then the kind of Hex caused something to, you know, uh, maybe her time hanging around with uh, Captain Marvel. I'm not sure. But uh, I, I wouldn't say definitely yes or no, um, but I, I hope there was a little something in there. 
That's why you're a real journalist, Pete. As and I am guy. not, right. and I don't pretend to be one like you <laughs> assholes. Let me ask you, Pete: Are you on the record or off the record right now? Uh, I well, we're on the show, so it's wild to me that you didn't know what that was. We've done <laughs> thousands of interviews. <laughs> yeah, truly thousands. Well, I've never written uh, a book of that length and relied on other people's information about something I don't know. So I wanted to hear like how maybe frustrating it would be to get totally. the thing you yeah. need and then someone Aaron, say that's off the record. Deeply frustrating. Yep. And he told us a great story because of it. So fuck you, man. Right. It's like how before the show, you told me off the record that you didn't really read the book. Oh, wow. <laughs> what an asshole. Wow. Alex is wow. not a journalist. Alex is not a journalist. And also recently published in the New York Post. It's fucked up. You're, you're, you claim to be a journalist, not a journalist. No, just yeah, I'm, I'm a tab writer. A yeah. tab writer. <laughs> and people ask me like, oh, why don't you tell people things? Why don't you open up and share <laughs> shit? That's why. I told you, and I specifically said, don't bring it up on the show. And what did you do, you piece oh, of shit? Oh, my God. You're a fucking was- horrible person. Pete, it was That's for a joke. Do you, does that make That's it better? No, it doesn't. I trust right, you I'm with sorry, things, dude. and then you throw it in my fucking face. No, you did no. read. You did read it though. You did read part of it. I am joking. Uh, all right, why don't we move on to other questions? Uh, this is from Paulo Di Martinez. DC Warner has a director for a Blue Beetle movie. Thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'm down. Especially if it's the new Blue Beetle. Yeah, they said it's Jamie Reyes, and uh, I mean, I'm excited about it. I thought that comic that they did uh, with Blue Beetle was really amazing. I hope they stay close to that because it was some really moving, great stuff. Um, We were all very impressed with that comic, and the art was glorious. So, Yeah, it was Raphael Albuquerque, I believe. Yeah, the Kirk. The Kirky. Uh, Yeah, the Kirky. So I I really hope that it does uh, stay true to that because I was really impressed with it. But yeah, uh, Blue Beetle, one, uh, one of my favorites, so I'm excited about that. I'm, I don't know, maybe it's because we've been burnt so much by the DC movies, just just in terms of development. Like, I'm not even talking about the quality of the movies themselves, because I know we vary in terms of how we think about them, but they've talked about so many movies that just have not happened at this point. I'm still so iffy until they actually start coming out at a regular pace, which mm-hmm. I think they might now that they have more of an architecture in place, but... They were talking about, I, I believe, a Blue Beetle TV show a couple of years ago. Now they're talking about a movie. So, fingers crossed to be awesome. Like I said, Pete, Jaime Reyes is awesome and a great character. And I think, like, I'm always a fan of hitting towards those younger characters more than the older legacy characters. Exactly. Like Titans, the show that everyone universally loves. Everybody loves Titans. Fuck Batman. Yay, Titans, I always say. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, we have a bunch of, here we go, Nick Grayson. What's some of your favorite high art takes on classic heroes, i.e. Silver Surfer Requiem? Ooh, nice. Ooh. Um, I mean, the uh, the Long Halloween, I think, falls into that. All those Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale books, they, not all of them, but they, they, were, they had a nice run of sort of um, telling interesting elevated stories. Frank, uh, Quietly Superman, all, I think it was All-Star Superman. Uh, let me throw out Alex's answer, Superman for all seasons, real quick. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah that's a good one. Uh, I was actually, I completely blanked on the name of it, but the Lee Bermejo Batman book that came out a couple of years ago, like Batman, oh, yeah. Batman at Christmas or Christmas Batman. I think. Oh, yeah, Christmas it's called Christmas Batman. Batman. Yeah, yeah. It was Christmas called Batman. I Saw Mommy Kissing Christmas Batman, <laughs> right? 
Uh, yeah. Ooh, Fantastic Four Unstable Molecules. That's Great a good one. one. Also, oh my God, I am blacking out everything tonight. The X-Men one, the complete history of X-Men. Uh, yes. Wasn't that what it was called? No, it was like X-Men Christmas, I think. <laughs> oh my God. I feel like Christmas is sort of You're a really catch-all for you. really stuck on, yeah, Christmas, it seems like. I just, I just, I'm drinking this, you know, beer. It says the long thaw. I'm thinking about some snow falling down. Just having wow. a good old time. What a romantic time for Alex. It's very romantic. Uh, this is from Edward Doherty. Some of the best artists in the industry are guys like Jim Lee and Greg Capullo, who are incredibly skilled at rendering and drafting in detail, but can be somewhat lacking in terms of storytelling. Interesting. Ooh. Who are the artists in comics with great storytelling skills God's that can fired. be overlooked because of their more simple or stylized draftsmanship? Wow. That is a, uh, I love that question. That is a targeted question. And I think um, I agree with that. Like, I mean, Jim Lee specifically, like he, he draws in that nineties style, which is like about the frozen, about the pose. It's not about the, the dynamic storytelling. Yeah. I, I would disagree a little bit with Greg Capullo though, particularly his collaborations with Scott Snyder recently. I think have been pushing him in great ways and his layouts are awesome. They're more careful. Um, Edward Doherty says, nah, in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Asked and answered. Uh, uh, but what, what about the flip? Like uh, a narrative, a great narrative visual storyteller that hasn't been recognized. Ooh, wait, quick, uh, quick note. Ace Cable over on YouTube says grand design by Piscor. Yes. That's what I was thinking of. Not Ed Piscor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you were way off with the Christmas thing. <laughs> uh, any, do you guys? I'm trying to think of someone whose storytelling skills that be overlooked because they're simpler or stylized draftsmanship. Um, like I, I feel like someone like I mean Darwin Cook was is universally loved, but that style where it's a little more cartoony. Uh, there's a book we're going to talk about um, coming up. Oh, you know what about like Riley Rosmo? Um, yeah, I love that... Riley Rosmo. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, or I like rough. I mean, on the same note, Raphael Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. I do think Raphael Albuquerque kind of lacks something in backgrounds. There's a lot of time. There's just kind of a character there on a color wash. You watch your fucking mouth, man. Oh, Some of the God. shit he did for Blue Fine. Beetle, the backgrounds were amazing. The colors, the Tony, come on. <laughs> Don't challenge the Kirky. <laughs> yeah, you fucking, like, it's hard. I, I can't sit here and shoot down any artist or whatever because it's, it's not even shooting down it's saying just the stylistic differences because i think at the point of the question is jim lee became a superstar because of his like the style that he draws in and there are a lot of artists out there that aren't superstars despite doing this like great yeoman's work of like really great dynamic storytelling uh patrick gleason Right. That's another good answer. Yeah. I mean, we talk about this all the time that Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason are one of the best teams working in comics. And it always feels like, yeah, they're also there. Let's concentrate on everybody else is doing this great Batman story or this great Justice League story when they're in the background, just doing trucking out amazing things every time out of the gate. If it's about number of frogs in the background, Chris Bocciolo is crushing it. <laughs> oh, the, the botch. Yeah. Uh, you love the botch. Yeah, I do. Uh, Ooh, a question from YouTube. CT Cook, who's got a higher body count, Pete or Justin? Body count. Oh, is this mm-hmm. a murder basement situation? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. 
It's hard. We Pete actually haven't shared our numbers. We usually wait yeah. till the end of the year to really yeah, dive yeah in. to really tally it up. I mean, I had to move out of state because my body count was getting too high. So uh, nice. And um, ouch, I... Edward Doherty. Ouch, bro. Body back <laughs> out. Oh, CT Cook says, "Yeah, it was a trick question. Definitely, Alex." Uh, that's truth. Fair enough. Uh, we got another one here on YouTube from Nelson Martinez. I recently realized a lot of Studio Ghibli movies are on HBO Max, and I've never seen any. Are you guys familiar with any? And would what? you recommend any in particular? Over to Pete, our Ghibli expert. Oh, my yeah. God. Uh, so me Ghibli. Uh, come on, man. Last <laughs> of, uh, of the Valley of the Wind. You Was that in your me? hand? Is that always in your hand? Man? Always close <laughs> to me. Always close. Um, uh, that's hilarious. Yeah. First off, welcome to the world. Uh, yeah, there's so many great, uh, movies. I don't even. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. But please watch them all. You will not. Uh, you know, it's really about like taste and what you're into. But Nasca, the Valley of the Wind is my favorite. You know, now wouldn't that book? Was that uh, something you went out and bought, or did someone close to you give it to you at all, or as a gift? <laughs> Why did Lee want to say something in the comments? Yeah, she. Ah, it was an all caps comment. Hold on. <laughs> I, I just wanted to mention I'm in a fight with Edward Doherty over here because in the comments he says anything but Ponyo. Ponyo is great. What are yeah, you Alex talking about? Alex for Ponyo. Oh, Ponyo. I, Ponyo. 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 I think it's Ponyo. Wow, Edward Doherty with another the song nap. is Ponyo, Ponyo, fishy in the sea. Ponyo, I thought it was Ponyo, Ponyo. Uh, she has this whole line about ham, ham. My wife and I say that to each other all the time. Who wants ham? <laughs> ham. That's great. That's oh cute. Tiny God. little fish in the deep. What a great sea. vision of your household. Yeah, Spirited Away. Great. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. Good stuff. That's the one I was. Uh, say. My neighbor Totoro. They're all yeah. good. You should watch all of them. Kiki's Delivery Service. Unbelievable. Yeah, Princess Demonade. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, question. Uh, another question on YouTube. Uh, Ghibli Scott Flex. Car <laughs> Scott Carpenter. Uh, first of all, thank you for the tip over there. Thoughts on DC doing backstories with a lot of their main titles, but keeping the four ninety nine price. I think like Batman one hundred six has a Robin story. I love backup stories, especially Future State has done so many backup stories that are great. It really like we get to see characters who wouldn't get the, the starring role uh, brought to the forefront. It's a whole nother take on what's happening in the issue. Like other writers and artists get to their chance to do some stuff. I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I do. I do appreciate because sometimes a good backup story can save the comic for you. Um, Just like a good backup singer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I thought they were holding the line at two ninety nine. What happened to that? <laughs> wow, be taking down a whole industry right now. <laughs> uh, I think it's okay. I mean, it's crazy. What? You don't like backup stories? No, I'm saying I think it is okay to charge four ninety nine for a book that uh, has multiple backup oh, stories. Okay, like you were saying, the future state stuff in particular is packed to the gills with content. It is, and it's expensive. It's crazy that they're doing it for two ninety nine when they're selling as many copies as they are. You know, I would rather pay four ninety nine for a forty three page book than two ninety nine for a twenty page book. You know, nice. There's a standard. There you go. I'm holding the line at four ninety nine. Whatever big fucking money over here. I'll spend I'll whatever I want because I'm rich. 
Uh, okay, this is a question from Joe. I knew this was going to come up. Hey, can you all do your own Stan Lee impressions for us? Yeah. If not, in the realm of Pete and Peter MJ and hashtag Bughead, what fictional couples do you stand that level? These are two questions. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's a backup question because maybe oh, um, well, how we don't have... Talk about your favorite fictional couple using your Stan Lee impression. I always got a Stan Lee impression for more words than like, Excelsior! <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll show you. I love Cypher and Rain. <laughs> Back in the day in Fall of the Mutants. Stop. Stop. No, it's That's your like, job, Pete. Interesting. Yeah, That's a very it. tiny Stanley that sits on a little bookcase or something. <laughs> I'm watching you. Always <laughs> watching. That's that's real. That's that real. Is. You did one good impression one time, and uh, that's you've heard way. of Elf on the Shelf. Now here's Stan in a pan. <laughs> Don't cook me. Make mine marble. <laughs> uh, Pete. Yeah. No thanks. Uh, pass. pass. Strong pass. Hard, hard pass. Okay. Um, couples that we like in comics. I'm going to throw it up to Spider-Man and Black Cat. Um, as a uh, partnership I like. Don't let it get you down, Pete. Yeah, I got the the Spider-Man comic to talk about for that. Okay. Pete, what about your favorite fictional couple? Uh, It's tough. Who are you liking? Uh, I'm going to have to say uh, Apollo and Midnighter is one of my favorites. That's 100%. That's a great Um, answer, and that's your best answer. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'll guess I'll just give up then if I've already done my best. <laughs> uh, here's a question from Hollywood Homer. Uh, what is the next evolution of comics with the start being cave drawings to newspaper serial to comic magazines to graphic novel? Who's sucking on a cheesesteak? <laughs> What? It's in the question. It says who's sucking got a cheesesteak. Oh my god. It's great. Now that's I like it when we can incorporate our sounders into our dialogue. Yeah. Uh so what do you think? What is the next evolution of comics other than on cheesesteaks? Mm, that would be delicious. Um uh, I don't know. They'll probably Wait, actually I want to kind of follow this uh, line of thought, Pete, because you hate even crinkling a comic book. What would you do if it was on a cheesesteak? Well, I would have to take detailed pictures and then eat it, you know, mm. so that way I could uh, you do that you know. anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I just it really depends on, you know, if the technology is going to go where we're all just going to have like shit playing in our brains, you know, uh, or if we're just going to be like, you know, uh, what's the next smallest device that we can watch it on? Pete, you don't have to say shit when you just mean Ted Lasso. You can just say when when we have the chip when they ask for who wants the chip to play Ted Lasso in their brain, <laughs> and you're a number one. <laughs> I when I close my eyes, Ted Lasso's playing anyway, so I don't need the chip for that. I mean, honestly, when I um, was really heavy into Doctor Mario in um, high school, college, and beyond, I could close my eyes and the pills would drop. So that's I think truly the future. Right on the eyelids, baby. On the eyelids. Uh, this is a question for Pete over on YouTube from RD. Pete, what's your favorite piece of bread? Ooh, oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say I love a great Hawaiian roll right now, but as far mm. as bread is concerned, I would go with uh, Martin's uh, potato bread. Good choice. Wow, potato bread. Nice. 
I used to, in college, I would get a loaf of Martin's potato bread and a jar of uh, salsa cod queso, and I'd just take the bread and dip it into the jar. <laughs> oh, my God. God. <laughs> Alex, <laughs> in, a world, in a world of tragedy, in a world of tragedy right now, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. It's <laughs> great. And that that's was disgusting. Before COVID, you were just sitting in your dorm room. Just like, <laughs> Wait, what COVID. other, like, you were out of other options? Or what, what's, what no, led it's to great. that? I like, I, basically, I was like, I like potato bread. I like cold salsa cod queso in a jar. Cod queso? You're a maniac. You can never make fun of Pete's food choices or his yeah! choices ever again. Because that's, that's the, that is unbelievable. It's good. Try it. There you go. Uh, there's a question from Kevin. If Abraham were writing a book series about the lives of the comic book club hosts, what would be the most shocking chapters and who would be telling those stories? Wow. Well, well, definitely the, Roy Thomas, I think. Like, he's got a lot of insight into yeah. what's going on with us. 100%. The fun part is he would have to talk to my father, and that would just be, like, end up being a bunch of weird chapters in the book. So that would what? be <laughs> is he Is he weighing in on Comic Book Club? Uh, no, it's just my father's a very, if you think I'm opinionated and uh, boisterous, you know, you try sitting in a room with my father and, and that would be uh, very entertaining. Can we welcome him into the stream? He's been, <laughs> he's been standing by for quite some time. Uh, yeah, good luck. He has no like... idea how to work a computer. A convocation of booth men or something like that. Yes. Oh, the most shocking thing, I mean, just to almost literally throw myself under the bus, is that time when we left New York Comic Con and I almost shoved James under a bus. You didn't almost. <laughs> you shoved him and ran for your own life. <laughs> and he, honestly, he's never forgiven you. as a uh, booth, man, booth mans don't forgive. Yeah. This was we were, uh, you probably figured it out for the context, but we were all walking out after a long day working at New York Comic Con with our booth man at the time. James saw a car coming. I panicked, pushed him out of the way, truck. and ran. Yep. We were mid conversation, and then we like all looked up and realized we were in the middle of the road. And uh, we yeah. on that Comic Con hype. I mean, I guess the moment, I wouldn't call it a low point, but it is um, when we were, we maybe talk about this a lot. We were, is when we were shooting our Nerdist series and we were out at the bar with the guy who was like producing it who oh, liked yeah. to booze. And I looked over at Alex as we had the next round of shots in our hands and I was like, this is one too many for my friend Alex Alvin. <laughs> He's in trouble starting now. <laughs> and I, I've told you guys, I yeah, yeah. what uh, still feel horrible about this on an almost daily basis. I vomited all over a cab, lost my phone in the cab on the way home. Terrible. I hope you tipped him well because, goddamn, I don't know. He tipped him with one phone. <laughs> I do remember going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But oh man, perfect. That's. Yeah. Yeah. Cab drivers love that. I will say the crew, the our Comic Con at sea would be quite a chapter. Yeah, that was insane. That would be a chapter as well. Uh, great. I'm glad that we were very specific about the two horrible things I've done and very vague about the things you guys have done. Well, we're that's life, baby. Person, I'm sorry, Alex. We're off the record right now. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um. Here we go. Uh, this is the big question from Pablo right here. So on the subject of Abraham, who was here, do you guys have a fixed idea of who Stan Lee is now? Um, yeah, I mean, the the book tells a, a complete story. Uh, like I said, when we were talking to him, 
when we first started doing cons, we interviewed him in when he was out of the Marvel stuff and just doing these, I don't want to call them random, but like these other projects that he was pursuing. So that section of his life, I was like, oh, I have this firsthand knowledge of hearing what he was up to and how uh, sort of how it was going. Um, so so the book was a great way to sort of see all aspects of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it is to Abe's credit. And I don't think he is lying or anything when he says that he does it very even handed. You know, people have certainly I was joking about the Roy Thomas thing. Somebody mentioned this in the comments. Uh, but Roy Thomas put up a pretty scathing thing about the book on The Hollywood yeah. Reporter pretty much right before he went live um, and brings up all these things. Obviously, Roy Thomas, who worked for Stan Lee for years, has written about Stan Lee, has a little bit of a dog in a fight. Um, but I, I think it's pretty even in terms of the way that Abe reports the book. There's certainly points when he leans one direction or the other. But for the most part, it really is just painting. Here is what happened. Here is my research. Here's what, what it's shown. And at least from my perspective perspective it's pretty unavoidable to think that jack kirby did come up with most of this stuff like what stan clearly was good at was like abe said he was clearly a great boss he was very creative they wouldn't have been able to sell marvel comics without him they probably wouldn't have had the creative environment to create all of these characters without him but it's definitely debatable whether he actually created any of these characters in any particular way because we didn't get to talk about this in the interview but something that the book really doubles down on is everything before the heyday of marvel comics that stanley wrote was kind of shitty and everything afterwards was kind of shitty and all he really wanted to do, it seems, was kind of do vaguely pornographic things and write funny captions on pictures that have already been published. And he hated comics. So the fact that he was suddenly like, and here's the Fantastic Four is just like, I don't know, that doesn't seem like a reasonable thing that happened in a human being's life. Uh, well, Alex, I've seen the documentary Mallrats, where he oh, talks a lot about his creation of those characters. Yeah, that's true. All right. Point counterpoint, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I've done, I, I don't want to say a lot of research, but I rewatched that again recently. So oh, there you go. Great. Does anyway, it hold up? Does small rats like... hold up? Yeah, a little bit, but not maybe a lot. Because <laughs> okay. I tried to re. Uh, we'll get to that in Week in Geeks, sorry. Yeah. Oh, wow. Right. Such right. restraint. Yeah, holding back content. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> to finally ask Pablo's question, though, I would suggest read the book. Form your own opinion. That's what it's Definitely. there for. It presents the facts, and then you can kind of figure out what you think for yourself, other than Buzz Aldrin is a stupid piece of shit. Hey, wow. hey, come on. <laughs> wow. That's pretty clear. And that is it for your audience questions. <laughs> now it is time for our next section, which is trivia. And for that, we're going to turn it over to Pete LePage. All right. Pete LePage. This is the part we give back to you, the lovely audience. It's an opportunity to win 25 free dollars to Midtown Comics Online. Because who wouldn't want some online comics? <laughs> barf. He's going to barf. He's going to barf. No, I'm t- Little beer Wait, burp. Pete, did we ever talk about what you were drinking? Yeah. Pony boy. Pony boy. Oh, Stay boy. golden, pony boy. Sorry. He's drinking Ponyo boy. <laughs> ham! Ham beer! Oh, first hand up, it's Pete's father. Let's welcome him into the stream. <laughs> so, Pete, you didn't frame this up, but if anybody wants to be on trivia, just put hand up in the comments. Same goes for YouTube, though you'll be on a little bit of a delay. Just let us know, and you're going to win $25 from Midtown, guaranteed. Potentially guaranteed. I, I guarantee it. 
Oh, nice. That's what I always say. Like that. That's my Stan Lee impression. It's really good. It's really good. No one Bottle knows. comics? I guarantee it. Wow. <laughs> Got any hands up over there? Uh, nope. Oh, we need to have Pete's dad as a guest. A lot of Feels people like calling. we doing this for almost 15 years. Maybe we should determine uh, trivia people in advance. Oh, Luana says Aaron raised your hand, yeah. which seems like an excuse to invite Luana into the stream. What do you think, Pete? Ooh, that's a great idea. Pete? Wait. <laughs> She's saying, wait, invite her uh, into Luana. the stream? I see Luana right, raising her hand. I'm going, I'm going and doing it. Okay, here we go. Uh, this won't cause any problems for anyone <laughs> in this group. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm worried that our our uh, internet's going to freeze if we're both in here at once. Yeah, I um, guess we'll see what happens. Yeah. For those of you at home, uh, Pete and uh, Liwana uh, live in the same place. That's, that's all. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. <laughs> They're flatmates. Hello, hi, how are you? Hey! Hey! Uh, we haven't seen you in hi! so long. How hi. are you? It's going good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, you might not know how trivia works, so Pete yeah. is going to explain it. Actually, uh, the only time I've ever done trivia before, Alex was facilitating it. Really? Oh. Yeah, because oh. Pete because Pete didn't do trivia because it was like a week after he and I met, and he like planned a whole day for my birthday, so he made you do trivia that week. Uh, and then I went to uh, come. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I've got a little surprise for you. Pete has another fantastic day plan. Go ahead, Pete. Describe oh, all the things you're going to be doing. Yeah. So I'm going to read you a question. Listen to all three possible answers. Get all what all of our dates turn into. No. Get all three questions right. Twenty five dollars will be yours. That's right. That's, That's so what it's funny. like to date me. You got to pass a lot of quizzes. A lot of a lot of post end of date quizzes are very hard. Yeah. He just randomly and, like says the names of actors, and I'm expected yeah. to like like in his sleep. Which Robin Williams movie is this yeah. from? Which Robin Williams movie is this date? Okay, that one hour photo. (laughs) All right, so uh, today's trivia is on topical comic news and a small nod to the legend Kenny Rogers. All right, so (laughs) here we go. Question number one The Count of Monte Cristo is getting an original sci fi graphic novel called Blank. Is it A, Space Count, B, Count? Or is it C, Dwayne The Rock Johnson? <laughs> so it's yeah, either no. A or it's B, Count. Okay. Count. Like the B Count is cor- Sesame Street. Yes. Yes, that yes. is correct. Count no, is no, correct. Yeah. All right, great. So <laughs> question number two. DC introduced the linear verse, which means what? A, heroes age slower. B, lines are cooler than circles, or is it C, Art Garfunkel? So it's either A, if you would like $25, or you could be completely wrong. Um, I mean, I, I guess I would like $25. Um, yeah, a. a is correct. Heroes wow. oh, now how, age slower in the DC universe. Or how many universe. practice quizzes have you taken, Liwana? I know. All I'm right. actually writing the quizzes every week. I'm just kidding. I'm Ghost kidding. Rider. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. Last no one. In the new comic book series, Nottingham, who is the villain? Is it A, Robin Hood, 
B, Maid Marian, or is it C, the original JT, Justin Timberlake? How dare you? Yeah, you like that? So it's either A or B or C. Is that Robin Hood, not Maid Marian, right? Yeah, it's Robin Hood. Okay, good. Yes, Robin Hood <laughs> is correct. Ooh. Oh, so exciting. Great job. You did wow, it. Wow, thank you. Uh, oh, my God. Go All with... I've ever wanted by dating Pete LePage was to be on <laughs> Yes. So, Pete, <laughs> no, I don't know if I need now. you anymore. <laughs> and the yeah, dream yeah, comes true for all of us. I will say, because of game show compliance, um, we have <laughs> to find out. You must spend this money uh, for yourself. It cannot go in any way to mm-hmm. Pete LePage. Yeah, so, that's fine. Okay. Let's it. just be very clear about that's that. Please follow up. Be... Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I'll uh, itemize my receipts. All yes, right. please. We are, we are meticulous. Congratulations. Have a great night. And look forward to that wonderful date that Pete has planned. For the <laughs> day. That's going to be really good. Alex, you <laughs> bastard. Bye, Liwana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a landmark day. Yeah, that was fun. And in case anybody's wondering, uh, yes, it's the 2001 movie uh, Long Shot. Mm. Mm. Yes, we were all 2001 movie Long Shot. Okay, that's right. Yeah, had In uh, Sync in there. You know, uh, Backstreet Boys. A lot of fun stuff in that movie. It was cool. a movie. Yep. Great. As we all know, tomorrow is New Comic Book Day, unless you're DC Comics, in which case they're already out. What are you looking forward to, Pete? Uh, well, I'm looking forward to Usagi Yojimbo Wanders Road number four of six, mm. as well as Black Panther number 23. Nice. Say nice. No more. Justin, what about you? Say no more. Um, I got to give it up for, I mean, I talk about this book a lot. Uh, Department of Truth mm. oh, uh, okay. has a new issue coming tomorrow, number six. And it's another great issue of this book. Also news on this book. Um, it was announced this week that it is in development as a TV series or movie that, uh, that James Tynan is writing. So that's oh. very I haven't heard that. That's very exciting. Cool. Uh, I'm excited about another issue Breaking of Ice mood. Cream Man. Ice Cream Man number three, 23, coming out from Image Comics. Always a great read. One of our favorites oh here. God. Number one of 2020. So very excited to chat about that book and many more on our Stack podcast, which comes out Wednesday, 9 a.m., both of the Comic Book Club feed and also in the its own dedicated Stack feed. And folks, that is it for our show. A couple of people we want to thank before we go. Actually, just one person, Abraham Reisman. Check out True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee. And we also want to thank you, the fans, to listen. We don't want to just thank one person. And shout out to Abe's Puke Bowl, because if you're like me, you have a designated Puke Bowl in your home and you don't use it for anything else. Absolutely. Next week, we have two great guests for you. We have Joshua Kemble is going to be here to talk about his book, Two Stories, Book One. And Curtis Clow is going to be here to talk about slightly exaggerated other stuff on our end to plug. We have a ton of podcasts. We got Riverdale After Dark, our Riverdale podcast comes out Wednesdays right after that show. Umbrella Podcademy, our Umbrella Academy podcast. One episode to go. It's coming. We're so close. We're so close. close. Uh, Also, Marvel Vision, our Marvel podcast. We are talking about WandaVision. It's available everywhere. It comes out real early on Fridays. We've been waking up. Pete loves it. He keeps forcing us to wake up early. He loves getting up early. I fixed my tooth. And we're coming up strong this week. And I'm going to say, if you like that podcast, go rate it. Because there's people keep naming other podcasts. (laughs) Marvel Vision. 
Yes, Get out please there. go to iTunes, rate that, and subscribe to that one. Leave a comment. Uh, also, American Godcaster, American Gods podcast, Sunday nights after that show. Patreon.com slash comic book club to support all of our shows. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen at Comic Book Live on Twitter. Also, Comic Book Club over on YouTube on the team. Go check us out there. Comic Book Club Live.com for this podcast and more. Good night. Take care, everybody.